Hello, Doobie listeners. This is Adam Venrick, and you are once again listening to an episode of The Coffee Hour, my show where I interview interesting Denisonians. Today's guest is certainly someone of great interest. She is a professor in the cinema department. Um, she is herself a maker of films. Um, she's right now teaching a screenwriting class that I have the privilege of being in. Friends, my guest today is Professor Sabrina Rankard. Uh, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here on this very, very rainy, but, but, but somehow positive day. Yes. <laughs> it is very rainy. Um, yeah, it's kind of gross, but I, I, I think rain, I think a rain will do us some good. It's been, uh, it's been dry lately. Um. And this is quite nice. Um, so we're here today, Professor, because of uh, a project that you are, uh, are working on, a documentary film, which, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you are making with your mother. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Um, she, she is the, the longtime seasoned documentarian, mm -hmm. um, and so she is the director and producer of the, the project, which is called Don't Fence Me In, mm -hmm. and I am collaborating with her as um, her editor and uh, co-writer. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's sort of where we fit together in the collaboration scale on that project. Very interesting. Um, I'll, I'll obviously want to ask all about the film. One thing I'm curious about, though, just because you brought this up, and it's not one of the questions, but it's one I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what role does a writer serve in making a documentary? Because obviously it's different than a fictional film. Sure, sure. That's a, it's a really interesting question. Um, you know... <laughs> And particularly as far as writing credit goes with the documentary, you you underline um, you know the the key issue, which is that you're working from someone else's story. Um, you're obviously aware of the story uh, beforehand. That's why you're making the documentary, um, and you kind of have a sense through research and pre-interviews how that story is maybe going to come together. But of course, you know, not like uh, like radio, you never really can predict exactly how the person's going to tell the story, how they're going to come off on the screen. And so when it comes to a writing level, writing really comes in at the editing um, process mm -hmm. where you figure out how to take the long form discussions um, and other things like B-roll or um, in our case, archival footage, extensive um, um, historical photographs, um, uh, footage from old 1940s and 30s films, mm -hmm. you know, it just runs the gambit. And so you figure out how really to, to repackage or present that story, that person's story in a way that is most importantly faithful to their own history, but is also faithful to your perspective on why you want to tell the story, what, what you found exciting about it, what you want to share with people. Um, so it really comes down to how do you piece together um, the interview and then how do, you, how do you add things in order to imbue it with this cinematic sense of, of narrative um, in a way that's exciting, interesting, hopefully informative. Um, in our case, uh, you know, sometimes funny. So um, yeah, writing, writing is a, it's a really different instinct. It's not coming directly from, from your brain. It's really rewriting someone else's story um, in a new, in a new and, and interesting, hopefully, if you're successful um, way. So 
So that's kind of how, how it goes about. This is the first time I've ever collaborated on a, on a documentary. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is all new for me um, as well. And it's very exciting as a, as a screenwriter and as a, a narrative um, filmmaker to, to kind of think about writing in a whole different process. Um, so I, I think, I was going to say it almost, the way you describe it, it almost sounds like reverse engineering a film yeah. or a screenplay. It really is. That's a great analogy. It yeah. is, um, you know, you're, you're working from, from the content and then, and then as you say, like sort of reverse engineering the story, figuring mm -hmm. out what, what, what needs to be told, what really doesn't need to be told, you know? So absolutely it is, it's a whole other way to, to look about it. In fact, I kind of look forward to, to taking some of those techniques and reapplying them to more narrative projects mm. in the future, because it's just a whole interesting way to, um, to approach it. I mean, not to get too far into the weeds, but um, the, the filmmaker, Mike Lee, he's a sort of great um, British um, realist filmmaker. He kind of makes his narrative films in a similar way. Well, he'll come up with these scenarios and get his actors together and they'll just improvise, improvise, talk and, 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 and interact. And from that, from these sort of organic blossoming of these moments, lines, interactions, he will then produce a script. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then they will sort of work together and, and learn the script. But of course they also helped create the script. So, so it's interesting the way that, that, that the documentary writing process and the narrative process can, can really overlap if you're, if you're going to be open-minded about it. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. So backing up, um, so you are a, you're a cinema professor here at Denison. Um, I'm curious, how did you become interested in film? Um, I mean, I really, I really, I could say I almost had no choice. Um, <laughs> so I am, I'm the only, I'm the only child um, of a of a longtime documentary filmmaker. So mm -hmm. I mean, my my love of cinema was sort of like developed in utero. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, it, it was just always a part of my life. Um, you know, I when, when I was very small, uh, my mother was herself um, a film professor. In addition to being a professional um, at Columbus College of Art and Design, she set up their film and video program. Mm -hmm. And so she would teach her film and video classes and she'd take me along with her. So she'd like stick me in the editing room and like like put on Disney films and whatnot. So I'd sit <laughs> in the little editing bay and she would teach her classes. and. And you know, and I'd I'd, I'd hang out there. I, I think my 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 first love was her her TA, which is this, this sweet guy who would like watch me between classes. It was just my super bestie um, at like the age of three. So so it was just something I was I was always around, um, you know. And then uh, I mean. I remember she always said, um, you know, I couldn't wait till you're old enough to go take you to your first movie. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you think about these milestones that that people um, that people have with their children, you know, birthdays and trips and things like that. And for my mom and I, she was like, I just couldn't wait till you were three and I could plop you in that seat by yourself and you could see, you know, your first movie. And, and it's true. Like after that, we've, you know, we've we've, we've done three movies a day together and on really rough days and things like that. So, I mean, it was just, it was just always a part of our shared creative language. Um, and so I guess, I guess there was just really no other art form that was ever going to be as significant. And so, you know, when it finally came down to it, it's like, well, of course, this is what I'm, what I'm doing. <laughs> that's, that's how I was taught to relate to the world. 
I, uh, I'm so curious because that's such a nice story. Um, do you two have like a comfort film that you'll watch together? Like, is there one that you'll go back to time and again? Goodness, I mean, so many. Um, it it kind of depends on the mood. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes, um, you know, gosh, let me let me think. I mean, you know, there's we love classic films, mm -hmm. so you know, Casablanca mm -hmm. or, or or old standbys like that. But then, you know, there have been times where I've come come home and my mom will be having like she'll have a big pot of pasta sauce mm -hmm. on the on the stove going, and she'll go, "It's Godfather time," and it won't even be like a question. Do you want to watch The Godfather? It's like it's Godfather time. We'll go, oh, okay. Are we are we doing one? Are we doing the trilogy? No, we're doing the trilogy. Of course, we're doing the trilogy. Um, well, actually, speaking of trilogy, I suppose that's one. Every so our New Year's tradition is we watch the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy together. Mm -hmm. and of course. Um, and that's always like this sort of big, hopeful, you know, spiritual start to the year and, you know, inter, you know, interacting with, with like great cinema, but I'm mean, so many things we watch, we watch tons of stuff together, good, bad in between, um, you know, kind of doesn't, it almost doesn't matter in some ways, but yes, we have plenty of films that we return to time and time again. That's so nice. I, um, I'm glad you brought up the Lord of the Rings trilogy because I think it's so funny that Elijah Wood went from making that to then just making weird stuff for the rest of his career. Because um, he was basically set. He was like, yeah. well, I did the thing that I was going to, the greatest thing I was ever going to do at like age 20. So <laughs> I could do oddball movies and DJ in, in like Link Germany. <laughs> I respect it. I, I really I respect it. I um, do too. I love it. <laughs> so let's let's talk about this first of all um i'm gonna ask your mom's name since she's made these documentary films and she's directing this current one absolutely so her name is mary elaine evans mary elaine evans okay mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she's been um a local documentary filmmaker um working out of the the sort of central ohio market for 40 years. Um, so she's a long hauler, not to reappropriate that, that horrible term right now, but a long hauler for local independent documentary filmmaking. Mm. Um, she, um, she has a, a couple of um, Emmys that she won for one of her first major documentaries, um, which was called Andy, mm -hmm. um, about a young boy from West Liberty, Ohio, who um, had an accident. He fell into a corn auger and lost both of his arms. Um, and then, but it's really not a, it's not a handicap film. It's a film about someone who could not, but be them, their irrepressible self in spite of this obvious thing that everyone else would call a handicap. Right. And Andy never thought about it. So, so yeah, she had, um, she, she, she hosted a local, um, magazine style television show on channel four for years in the eighties and stuff like that. So she's, she's an old hand. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. I have, I have a great trusted resource when I have questions. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, sorry, we've been going off of the questions that I sent to you. Um, so let's go back to one that was scripted as we might say uh tell me about this film that you're making don't Fe fence me in what's that uh what's it about yeah so don't fence me in it's it's the it's kind of an all girl retro cowgirl documentary mm -hmm. that's that's the sort of the fun line i like to, to throw around so it's the story of these two young women from galleon ohio who in 1941 rode their horses across country mm -hmm. from central Ohio all the way to LA alone on a dare. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, right. I mean, it's just like when you think about that, it's just mind boggling. Even now, I mean, we have we have so many, you know, the the expectations for for women and young people in general are so different today. And so to think about that, these two women who just had the moxie and the gumption and the the spunk to just say, yeah, we can do that. And they completely believed it. And they and they just did it. You know, they rode down old route 66 um, all the way to L.A. through, you know, rain and and deserts and you know i mean it's just it's just this wild wonderful road trip story american road trip story mm-hmm. you know um so uh, we we were fortunate enough to meet one of the women and um i'm sorry my cell phone is buzzing and you don't want that in the background um yeah we were fortunate enough to to meet one of the 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 women virginia shoemaker Payne, who is the subject the true subject of the documentary mm-hmm. um, while she was still living and she was this sort of as you might expect um sassy funny you know 83 year old woman who was very independent and, you know like smoked with her oxygen you know the type yes i do <laughs> so, um so we, you know we were we were so lucky to get to have you know all these wonderful interviews and hours with her and so now you know um we're we're just attempting to tell this kind of you know, story about these these feminists before feminism even had a tagline. You know, mm-hmm. they were kind of these proto-feminists um, who were out there, you know, living this this free-spirited um, young existence um, and and kind of tapping into something that I think all of us can really relate to almost at any time in the life, not just when you're young. Um, so that's 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 the goal. That's what the story is about. Well, and I'm curious, and I, I agree with you, like, it's one of those stories that I do think is, like, so specific that it becomes universal, and yet, yeah. in a way, kind of general, like, you, you could definitely see that happening, and it almost feels fictional, but it's comforting to think of it as being real. Um, but I'm curious, how did you become interested in this story? Well, so, um, you know, this, this comes entirely from my mom, Mary, Mary Lane. Um, I, I remember very vividly, um, I was, um, so the project has been, has been in the works for a number of years. And so I believe this was while I was in grad school. Is that right? I was in school. Anyway, I, I was home um, one weekend and I remember her, you know, I was in the, sort of breakfast room having coffee and I remember her just like bouncing into the room she was all excited and she's got this newspaper and she's shaking it at me and she says I found it I found it I found my next film and she and she didn't even stop she's like and you're gonna make it with me and I I just sort of blinked at her and I went okay okay well well, what's it about (laughs) you know very interested to know what it was gonna be about so she really she just she found this newspaper article that was just a small little local, you know, item piece about this woman. And the spark was just there. She could just see it. And she said, you've got to go on this journey with me. And as soon as she told me what it was about, I said, well, yeah, obviously we're telling this story because there are just so many things um, that we both cared about that we couldn't wait to, to tell this story, share it with the world. So, of course, um, so I, I'm curious, and we kind of touched on this before um, when we were talking about the writing process, but um, you said this is your first documentary. Um, what has it been like working in this medium of documentary film? Um, it's, 
It's been fascinating. Um, it's like I say, it, you know, what I've really come to appreciate is that, you know, storytelling, human storytelling is human storytelling. And though the mode may be different, um, the, the things that we care about, the, the inflection points that, that spark our human connectivity, um, don't change, whether it's a documentary or a narrative film. Um, it's really just kind of coming to the process um, with fresh eyes and, and, and a different way of thinking about things. So, you know, as a, as a, as a narrative um, artist myself, you know, it, it, you know, there's a lot of pre-research and you're, you know, you're thinking about how you're going to craft these scenes and you're, you're thinking about how the characters need to um, relate to each other. What do they need to say in order to convey this inner truth? And, you know, initially I thought, boy, this is going to be a bit different. But what I've just described to you is exactly how a documentary works, too. Mm -hmm. There's really there's really no difference other than the fact that you're kind of, as you said, reverse engineering, you're working backwards and figuring out how to add things. Um, for me, a, a spark that's been really exciting has been um, a lot of the historical research, which I've really headed up um, as the editor. And so I've spent hours and hours and hours um, looking at old newsreels and old films that have fallen into the public domain from the 40s that are really fascinating in a kind of social um, history kind of way. Uh, newspaper articles from the time and, you know, photographs um, from different places and tracking them down on maps and things like that. It's very, there's a very investigative, curious um, aspect to that, which I love. I love history. We're both history nuts. Um, mm. So for me, I think that has has added this sort of spark to to the kind of narrative writing process mm. um, where I can make all these connections, excuse me, connections and 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 these through lines of, of bigger themes. Um, you know, for instance, um, there's a, a section of the film um, that that I was really excited about where I, I started digging into the history of cowboy movies because that was something that had really influenced um, Virginia. She watched, uh, you know, she went to the movies every every week the way people did in the 30s, mm -hmm. right? She would see all the cowboy bee pictures and that was very much in her background and in her mind. And so, you know, going back and looking at the sort of gendered history of that was really interesting. Like, how does this girl who sees all these sort of male heroes, masculine-centric heroes at the box office every week, how does she make the connection? How does it occur to her, like, that's me up there, you know, where, where you might see a disconnect otherwise. Um, and, and I ended up finding this sort of sub-history of... Um, like cowgirl movies that were very much B pictures at the time, but where you could start to see them trying to figure out how to how to market this to women, um, and and so so like those unveilings of the larger cultural and, and social context of these little stories have just been so illuminating to the writing process. Um, I think I wandered a little into the weeds on that answer. No, it's, it's, it's all right. Um, it actually, it gave me a follow-up question that I wouldn't okay. have thought to ask, actually. But, um, you, you know, because you, you, you've been talking about Westerns, and I think you've mentioned in class that you're, you're something of a Western buff. Um, is, am I remembering correctly? Yes, no, you're, you're absolutely correct. I, um, so, uh, you know, it was funny. As an undergrad, I was an English major. We didn't have um, a cinema 
program um, at my uh, alma mater. I went to Wittenberg. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, um, but but the English department there was super chill, and they kind of like. I never really asked and they never really said, but I sort of built this film studies major out of it. They always just let me write film stuff. So, so for my, my, my thesis and as an undergrad, I wrote, um, I wrote a, a, a paper, a conference paper about uh, Westerns of the sixties and, mm -hmm. and, and violence and iterations of violence and how they culturally um, marked a, a shift and things like that. So yes, I was, I was very much, um, thinking I was going to go into film scholarship at the time and write like this big, you know, book on film westerns and, and what all they, it says about American culture. Um, I did not end up doing that, but I'm sure it will end up it coming out perhaps in some small way in this documentary mm -hmm. and who knows what other pictures come after that. So, well, I'm curious because, you know, I think over the past few years, there really haven't been, there's been a decline for a long time, um, there's been a decline in Western films. Um, we still see one every now and again, but it's it's almost never a straight up Western. It's either a comedic Western or it's a Western fused with some sort of a, another genre um, that very rarely ends up doing well. But um, do you think that, uh, given that there is maybe sort of an exclusionariness around Western traditional Western films, do you think that um, do you think that there's a possibility that younger generations might reappropriate sort of like the John Wayne aesthetic in a more progressive light? I, I, I certainly hope so. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I think that that trend, there's a lot of reasons that you could you could talk about for that trend. I mean, political shifts. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of it, you know, the classic Western is very much rooted around this this you know, notions of patriotism, but also this kind of, you know, people use manifest destiny, but this sort of the romance of the undiscovered landscape, the mm -hmm. wild, untamed landscape. And, and as Americans, our sort of identification with that aspect of the, the physical geography of this, of this country within our own kind of psyches, right? Um, as you know, I think as culturally we've become, um, you know, there's a lot more, we're, we're, we're getting more urbane, um, cities are getting larger, populations are getting larger, natural areas are shrinking in some ways. Um, I think that that leads to a logical trend in the kind of death of the traditional Western mm -hmm. in some ways. But as you say, I think that there will be openings. Um, and I feel like as we kind of make, as, as the natural world begins itself to, to change due to climate change mm. and due to um, social shifts, we're gonna find that the landscapes we thought we had conquered are becoming unconquerable again in ways that we fully can't anticipate. And I would love to see the, the genre of the Western sort of leverage that that relationship with the land and with heroic identity in a new way that takes into account something like climate change or environmental eruptions or you know uh, 
populations having to move due to flooding and things like that. I mean, the, the, the things that are coming down the pipeline at us um, due to that, I think will only sow the seeds of potential for that genre to hopefully be picked back up, as you say, by, by smart, progressive, younger filmmakers and writers who can see um, but there's a lot of there there that can be can be rebranded and reinterpreted. So um, so I hope so. Um, I I think I think it's I think it's coming. I think it I think we'll have to see it, see how it plays out. But I would hope so. I think it would be interesting. And from what you've described, it would certainly be interesting to see like I don't know a story of the new West set against a climate dystopia. Um, yeah. I even as I was talking, I was like, I gotta write some of this down. This, I, this, this stuff. Maybe I, maybe I should. Do, maybe this should be the next screenplay. <laughs> if I do, I will totally give you credit. Well, <laughs> I will get a shout out. I would insist upon it. Um, I would hope so. <laughs> uh, uh, and that's kind of interesting though, too, because there are definitely genres. I don't know if you'd say are, that are marked with like a regressiveness or. Um, it's probably not the right word for it, but like I think about westerns, I think about slasher films, I think about all these genres that sort of noir. Noir, yeah, certainly noir. Noir being maybe the most complicated um, that all sort of deal with gender, certainly, but also with race, with all these intersections of identity that we that we are finally paying close attention to, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm curious to see how those will will fuse in the in the coming years like i i know just last week um because i went to it the film society here did a showing of the new suspiria um Mm. which i think is such a i'm a big fan of the original suspiria um but it's got that argento giallo thing and the the new one doesn't the new one is a political thriller with witches (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's just, um, yeah, I mean, there's a cinematic history is so it's peppered with toxicity, mm-hmm. right. That is just asking to be, um, reinterpreted or refashioned in a way that, that doesn't, that hopefully if you're doing it right, doesn't seek, seek out erasure, mm-hmm. but rather uses, that that sort of social context in order to build a new conversation um so so uh, yes i i think you know with westerns noir a lot of these um you know even just regular classical hollywood films um you know the 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 big dust up that has that has rightfully um taken place as a conversation about gone with the wind and its Mm -hmm. lasting you know cinematic significance um you know you don't want to you don't want to forget that that was what we found socially acceptable to be in the film, you know, in a major film at that time, because it's a, you know, it's a historical timepiece. It lets us know where we are and, and mo- more importantly, gives us a benchmark for knowing how we continue to progress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I think I, I, that's the fun thing about genre, you know, um, genre genre gets very stale very quickly. And so you, you have to find these sort of wild recombinations of thoughts and ideas in order to kind of keep it alive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with all the, the three genres that you, and subgenres that you mentioned, 
that's the thing that's giving them energy these days. I mean, so promising young woman is, mm. is doing, you know, it's, it's this, you know, kind of wild, very much fits into the realm of sort of a film noir um, kind of picture, but with a whole different contemporary twist and in a way that, that doesn't even hide the fact that it's, it's using this revenge thriller, um, which is, long been seen as sort of like a very male mode in cinema um to 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 call out um the me too era toxic nonsense that um nonsense seems like a, a really tame word but um we'll keep it pg sure. um <laughs> sure. bs shall we say um, <laughs> Uh, that, that has finally been allowed to come to the surface. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think genre is great that way in the way that it keeps evolving and that, that smart people can, can find ways to just recombine new ideas and make these old stories suddenly feel so fresh, so relevant, um, so exciting. Well, and going off of that, I'm curious, you know, going back to documentaries for a second, um, it, it sort of feels like over the last few years they've started to have another like a big moment. Um, there was the Mr. Rogers documentary that came out a few years ago. There was Three Identical Strangers. Um, you know, like I, I always hear about. Obviously, there is a best documentary category in the Oscars, but uh, I feel like it's only in the last five years or so that the films in that category have started to become widely available for for mass consumption. Um, so I'm curious, why do you think viewers are, are now drawn to documentaries? You know, that's really interesting. Um, I think, I think, I think documentary itself, um, as a if you want to think of documentary, I mean, a lot of people might not might not immediately call it a genre, but you could you could classify it certainly as a kind of genre or a narrative <laughs> style, right? And I think for many years, documentary very much fell into this this category of you know the kind of PBS. In, you know, ex- informational. Here is an interview. Here are some images. Historical um, kind of mode, and and that's totally legitimate. There's some amazing documentaries that came out of this time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you also had some experimental docs documentarians like the May, uh, the Maisel brothers mm-hmm. and, and things like that, who were who were doing things um, early on with sort of direct cinema, um, and uh, like Frederick Weissman, think people like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were very much in the indie film festival circuit, and I, I think. You know, oddly enough, I think the 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 profligation of of streaming services mm-hmm. um, and just making that content more available. It's like instead of going to the library to find a documentary or just waiting for it to be on PBS, now you've got you know the documentary channel and you've got you know every major streaming service has a documentary channel within their selection. So I think you know the appetite for for real stories has always been there. I mean, I would say, you know, if it weren't, people wouldn't read the news, you know, newspapers. So I think the appetite was always there, but it's just easier to access now. Um, And paired with that, I think that documentarians have gotten a little more liberated in their styles, you know, instead of that kind of classic, you know, I mean, Ken Burns is great. He's, he's, he does wonderful, big historical films. They're really educational. Like he's got all the mad money. Yay, Ken Burns. <laughs> big. 
but you know he has a style it's such a a a recognizable style that like you know when apple introduced final cut x they actually named an effect the ken burns effect and it was like that zoom and pan effect because it was just it was just so synonymous with his work yeah but documentarians are able to they're they're getting more experimental in their narrative styles you know you're seeing animation and you're seeing um you know computer graphics um the the film um a, a friend of mine is was the editor um uh for he edits with david france um so he was the editor for um welcome to chechnya mm-hmm. um, which was the, the sort of the big hbo um prestige jock about um, the LGBT community in Chechnya sort of trying to to help people escape um, from the sort of oppressive, dangerous regime. And so they started using um, special effects Mm. um, in order to change, subtly change the faces of the people they were interviewing in order to protect their their identity. So like the same kind of technology in a way that Martin Scorsese was using in The Irishman when he was like trying to de-age um, uh, Robert De Niro and things like that. <laughs> it's sort of that same technology where they were, they used a bunch of different faces and were able to make these kind of amalgamation faces to replace the actual faces of the people in this documentary in order to protect their identity because they're basically being hunted, right? So that's a kind of wild cinematic innovation that you could never imagine coming from documentary, you know, 10, excuse me, 10 years ago, right? So I I think the documentary itself is, is getting more, more innovative, more exciting, more expansive in the way that it's, it's, choosing to tell its stories mm-hmm. um, and i think that people are getting excited by that as well um and i i would wonder too you know if part of the recent draw of documentary is just that we're in we are living in an era now that has been described as a post-truth world so i wonder if there will now continue to be this pull for smart people to seek out the truth, if there's now an appetite for truth in the media that we consume, however objective you you want to think of the truth as being. Well, I mean, there you raise the point, because, I mean, in documentary, you know, truth doesn't exactly exist. Um, You know, it's, it's it's the perspective of the documentarian. And so you would hope with a lot of these that they have an honorable, um, intention of, of saying, you know, here, here's a story that I wish to present faithfully, or here is an argument that I would like to build in a way that serves the truth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, there's no, there's no getting around the fact that like, you know, before he became, you know, an advisor to the last administration, Steve Bannon was a documentary filmmaker and he made, very pointed <laughs> truth light um, fabricated documentaries that were really compelling in their lack of truth um, from 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 this perspective, right? You know, actually, no, I could say lack of truth because there were definitely documented non facts yeah. in them. So, yeah. so it's you know, it's 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 worth noting that there's a 
there's a blurred line or YouTube docs. I mean, you know, there's some of them are wonderful and some of them are QAnon, right? So yeah. it's, it's a scary place. Like it's exciting, but it's also we've we've got this this place because of the democratization of filmmaking, which is wonderful. More people are getting their voices out there than ever before because it's it's less expensive to do so. And so the kind of elite Hollywood boys club is crumbling, hooray. Mm -hmm. The flip side is, of course, is that more people are getting their voices out than ever before. And not everybody has that kind of integrity of, of intention. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think I read an article somewhere where um, like one of the great authors of some of the, the, the more um, insidious uh, uh, um, alt-right um, content uh, out on the web was a failed screenwriter. And I, I just rolled my eyes and said, oh, of course. Oh, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, it's a little, yeah, you know, yeah. it's... It's a little scary out there. I mean, it's exciting, but it's it's a little scary out there these days. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I imagine I know who we're we're both talking about now that you bring it up like that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a shame you you brought up Steve Bannon, and now all I can think of with Steve Bannon is that he was arrested by the post office, um, which is like an arrested development joke come to life. <laughs> so there is some justice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, my favorite thing is when farce enters the real world so perfectly. Um, it's my favorite thing to read about in the news. But um, so what, since we're talking about uh, trying to get points across, what, what would you like uh, viewers to take away from Don't Fence Me In? I, yeah, that's a, boy, that's a great question. And I, I was really sort of chewing over that question when you sent it to me. Um, you know, I think um, for me, I would love to get a sense, to, to convey a sense of, you know, you said something earlier in our, our chat that, that, that rang very true, where you said something like, it, it's such a specific story that it becomes universal. And I thought, ooh, that's good, right? Um, so yeah, so thank you for that. Thank you for the, for the, this, the, the what is it, the layup? I'm not good with yeah. that. But anyway, <laughs> but, but something like that. I mean, thinking that the, here is this very specific, real story about, you know, a, a woman from an, a very ordinary place mm -hmm. uh, who, most people might not see as extraordinary she and who didn't didn't wait for permission who yeah. didn't um worry too much about what society truly expected of her she just went out and did it um and 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 that 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 is a universal human experience right this this spirit of self word I'm looking for. Not self-respect, not self-freedom, but I guess self-actualization. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right? So I, I think just, just looking at these little stories and, and seeing these incredible universal things out of them, but also seeing that you or I, the little people who are just living our little lives, can also have stories that we don't know how 
remarkable they will be um, unless we just try to stay true to ourselves, you know, and just do what it is in our, our backbone to do um, and, and not to worry so much about the chatter and the noise. Mm. Um, so I think, I think that is something that's very essential to me as a, not just as a, as a filmmaker, but as a, as a, as a woman mm -hmm. um, creative, who's, mm -hmm. you know, always going to be coming up against, you know, that, that, that boys club in the media world, which is still, you know, very, very powerful. Um, so yeah, just this kind of reminder to, to never, never relinquish your independent spirit. Yeah. How big or small. Yeah. I like that. Um, Professor, we're running dangerously low on time, but I have one last question. What are your thoughts on the Oscar noms? Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm actually pretty excited. Mm -hmm. um, I think in a way, because, you know, with the COVID situation, you know, the film industry sort of, you know, they, they wet the bed <laughs> and, and, and they, they sort of fell apart and kind of, you know, it's sort of one of those things that happens when everything crumbles. Um, unexpected um, new growth can can kind of take root. Yeah. And so we have, you know, two, you know, two, two women and, um, you know, an Asian American, two, two Asian Americans, two women in the directing category mm -hmm. for the first time ever. We have this, this wealth of new content, new voices um, that are getting nominated because, you know, they made their little movies and they got them out mm -hmm. um, and they didn't rely on the big system that, has hushed a lot of voices or taken a lot of the oxygen out of the room before, right? So, so yeah, I mean, all these, it's, it's, it goes back to, to independent filmmaking, little films. You make your little story and you find a way to get it out. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this year's Oscar noms. I think there's just a, a wealth of great, great stories that are being celebrated, so. I, I would agree. I need to see more of them. Um, I remember I saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom uh, the day it came out, and I really remember liking that. Um, I did see Promising Young Woman. I braved COVID to go to the theaters and see it. Um, and it was, that was just, it was, Fun as a cameo fest. There were so many people in it. Um, yeah. Where it was like, oh, there's Molly Shannon in one scene. I know. Or yeah. Laverne Cox. I just loved her in that film. Oh, she was so good. She was really, really good. And the guy from uh, New Girl was in it at the very yeah. end, um, <laughs> which was really shocking. But um, I know. I just I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen Minari yet, and I I, I know I'm gonna love it. It looks it looks wonderful. Um, Nomadland just 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 knocked me out. I yeah. loved Nomadland. It's so beautiful um, and so it's it's relationship with time and yeah. with space is so interesting. In a way, I would be interested to see. You should see it and let me know. We should talk about whether or not it's a western. I I started watching it. I need to finish it. What I will say is um, I think this will be, it'll be a tough year actually to call performances, especially in the best leading actress category because you have Frances McDormand and Viola Davis and I've never seen anyone more confident in their ability to win an Oscar than Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. <laughs> um, but my, I, like, I'm personally, like I'm holding out hope for Carrie Mulligan, because I think that there's never really been a performance quite like that before. And she's the one among them that has never won an Oscar, and I think she's overdue for one. 
And it's the it's a similar thing I feel to Maria Bakalova in Borat too. I don't think there's ever been or ever will be again a performance like Maria Bakalova in Borat too. And no, I, I I mean I agree. I mean yeah. you know which there there's a great interesting kind of is it talk is it not you know yeah. I mean it's like how do you act for a documentary like what a crazy thing to think about right I know. So, um, so yeah I, I I agree. I mean I just I there's just a, such a range of talent and oh, I. Yeah. I Carrie Mulligan is just, I think she's a, she's a quiet power that people are, they, they, they kind of forget and she's just so unforgettable in, oh, yeah. in everything she's ever been in. So yeah, yeah. I don't, it's, it's exciting. I don't know. Uh, I, I will, I will be watching. That's for sure. I will too. <laughs> for... With the popcorn. Cause that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Whether they get good ratings or not, we always watch the Oscars. So that's good. That's good. I will watch too. Actually, I haven't watched um, since Shape of Water won my freshman year, which I didn't hate, but like it, it certainly wouldn't have been my pick. Um, you know, it, it just sort of fizzled for me in the last few years. But I will watch this year because it's maybe the first time in my life where I'm like almost any one of these movies and people could win and I think it would be fair. The only thing that I question is giving Glenn Close a nomination for Hillbilly Elegy, but I can't really blame her for Hillbilly Elegy. It's just a question of like, you know, you know you're living in a golden age of film when you can just throw a perfectly good Tony Collette performance out the window. <laughs> That is really very true. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> very, very true. Yeah. Oh, well, Tony, she's got to get one someday. She needs like Ed Harris of the Oscars. Like she just, she just always gets overlooked for her brilliance. Yeah, and she really is. She's maybe you know you had us watch Little Miss Sunshine in your class, and yeah. she always plays the mom. In the last two films, she's gotten major Oscar buzz for it was for playing the mom. The mom. Um, <laughs> But, like, she's always great. She's always great. And I, I don't know. I wish her the best. She, she's had such a great career. Um, anyway, Professor, this has been fun rambling about film with you. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for giving me this hour. It's been so great to chat with you. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could sit and talk movies with you all day, right? So <laughs> I'm sure I'll see you in the library after my yes. class chat <laughs> yes and I'll, I'll remember something that i forgot to ask you no doubt but uh professor i'm gonna let you go now so thank you so much for your time thank you so much adam it's been just a joy absolutely and doobie listeners i have been adam venrick for the coffee hour for the doobie go out and see some wonderful films and i will be with you next week